Good morning, church. This morning is Palm Sunday, and we will be taking a break from the book of Acts for the next couple of weeks, because next week we will be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter morning. Now, normally on Easter morning, we have a sunrise service over at the football stadium at 6 a.m. in the morning, and then we normally have one service here at 9 o'clock. But obviously, there is nothing normal going on right now. We are not in normal times. But this is what you can do if you want to get the full effect, to, to, to get up early in the morning, just as if, some of you, um, just as if you were going to sunrise service and then go sit outside your house, watch the service from, from your porch or from right outside the house and, and watch the sunrise come up. You can have your cup of coffee and your blanket, just like normal, just like if we were at the football stadium. Or if you'd rather, you can just join us from the comforts of your home inside anytime you want. Because what we're doing nowadays, uh, you can watch anytime uh, the service. So you can get up early with us and, and join us early in the morning or a little later on. But we'd love to have you anyway. So this morning, like I said, we, we are celebrating Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of a couple of historical events that kicks off what we know as the Passion Week of Christ. Um, the, the essence is a, a week of suffering um, of, of, of what Jesus went through that, that ended up culminated with the crucifixion, the death, and burial of Jesus Christ. It, it, it is historical in that the center figure, the central figure, Jesus Christ, is tested, he is tried, he is convicted, and he is executed. And yet, the only thing that was laid to his charge by the powers that be is that this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That was his charge. That's what sent him to the cross because he was claiming, in that sense, to be the Messiah. And so they were getting him for blasphemy. He had not committed any crime whatsoever. He was an innocent man. But he was no ordinary man. He was innocent because he did nothing wrong. The Bible tells us that he was sinless. So he's no ordinary man. But he would change the course of history. One of the other historical events that takes place that is happening on Palm Sunday is that the church age begins. Because at this moment in time, the clock stops ticking, if you will. That day, it stops ticking. God would set Israel aside for a time. Oh, He's not done with Israel. Not whatsoever. But He will be done with Israel for a time so that He will build His church here on earth. And that is the time that we are in. Because you see the clock, when it stopped ticking that very day, that he rode in on a donkey, on that triumphal entry. That is what we call today the age of grace. 
And if we don't cry out for joy because we are in this age of grace, then, then as we will see, the very rocks, the stones will cry out. You see, the Bible prophesied that Jesus would come. And we marvel at the detail that, that was foretold of His first coming. You see, He was faithful to come. And He fulfilled every detail. Turn of your, in your Bible, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke. As we, 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 we go away from, from the book of Acts, let's go back, same writer, but we go back to the Gospel of Luke. And if you will, make your way over to chapter 19. And we will be covering this morning verses 28 to 44. But let's open up by reading from verse 28 to verse 40. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage that, and, and Bethany, that the mountain called, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where you will, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosening it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owner of it said to them, Why are you loosening the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as they went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, and peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But, but he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Father in heaven, I pray, God, that you would just bless this time as we go through your word, Lord God. Father, as we begin this Passion Week of Christ and all that, that it entails, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us even this morning, reminding us, Lord, of the faithfulness, your faithfulness of who you are. Lord, you sent your son, Jesus, to fulfill all that was written of, of him. And so we thank you that we have this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 28, when, when it says, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up 
to Jerusalem. Knowing what was going to take place in that week to come. I, I, I like what this verse says, that he went on ahead. Now obviously I know what it means in the literal sense. That, that Jesus was walking in front of his disciples. He, he, was, he was walking in front of the rest of the guys. He was going before them. But even in the literal sense, he didn't back up. He didn't back down. He didn't fall back. He was out in front. He went before them. As, as a Jew, Jesus had gone up to Jerusalem all of his life. Throughout his life, he would make his way to, dis, to, to Jerusalem, even though for most of his life, he spent all of his life, for most of his life, up north towards the Galilee area, Nazareth area. But he would make his way to Jerusalem as a good Jew several times a year. So, so he has done this several times. He has traveled that road many, many times before. But he knew that this would be his last time, so to speak. And still, he went on ahead. You see, Jesus was resolute unyielding, perhaps even stubborn because he knew what this would accomplish. Isaiah 50, 50 verse 7 says, For the Lord God will help me because I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. You, you see, there was nothing that was going to stop Jesus from going to Jerusalem this time. He knew what was before him. He knew what this week was all about. And yet, he went on ahead. The purpose for him coming to earth was, was now coming to a head. It was all culminating, if you will, at this very time in history. That's why Palm Sunday is such a pivotal day in history. Things were about to start moving rather quickly. Jesus has less than a week to live. And this is why He came, though. And he was faithful to come because everything was about to change this week. And it starts with Palm Sunday. Je Jesus had his sights on Jerusalem. As he is looking, it's about a couple miles away and, and everything is, is now being prepared. The stage is set, if you will, and all the players are in place. And so it tells us, in verse 29, and it came to pass. It came to pass. The, the prophecy 
of Zechariah 9.9 is about to come to pass because he's already preparing everything as he sees Jerusalem in the distance, a couple miles away. Everything is already set. And they're drawing near to these two cities that are next door to each other, Bethpage and, and Bethany. And Isaiah 9.9 is about to come to pass. Or Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9 was written some 500 years earlier. And it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is, he is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fold of a donkey. As, as, as everything is set, I, I, I don't think that the, 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 the disciples had a clue of anything that was going on. They had no clue that they were being used to fulfill the prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. Oh, I'm sure that they knew Zechariah 9.9. I'm sure that they remembered when they would go to school or go to synagogue and they would cover this portion of Scripture. But it wouldn't be until after the fact that any of this would hit them. That they would totally understand that they were part of fulfilling this prophecy. They were just doing what they normally did, when Jesus gave them a command or an order. They were just doing what Jesus told them to do. And I'm sure it wasn't a big deal to them anymore when they went and they found everything exactly the way Jesus told them it would be. And Jesus he prepares the way for them. He says, this is what's going to happen. I need you to go over there, and this is what's going to happen. Boom, it happens exactly the way he told them it would. And I think the lesson for us here today as believers is that when we are told to do something by Jesus through his word, then we, even though we may not understand it, because I can guarantee you that the disciples had no clue what was going on, and yet they are being told by Jesus, this is what I need you to do and go and get, that, that we would, would do the same thing. Just go and do what you know God has told you to go do. And sometimes it's not until after the fact that we realize what God and why God was telling us to do these things. We, we, we oftentimes see the purpose after the fact. And how he used us in the process of doing what he wanted to get done in the lives of people. In their obedience, the disciples bring Jesus what, what, what he had need of. A colt. The fold of a donkey. I find it interesting that on the day that is so historic, 
That, that all of man is about to be changed because of this historic day. That man will be changed forever because he, he was putting aside Israel for a time and he was bringing in the church and we're coming into this age of grace and salvation will now be open to all. All of mankind is about to change forever. And Jesus uses a cult of a donkey. Something that is so common. He was going to reveal something that is so huge. And yet, he uses something that is so lowly. A donkey. What, what if? What, what, what if Jesus would have like pulled out all the stops? What, what if he would have gone just over the top? So outrageous, if you will. Coming in on this stretched chariot with this whole entourage this whole caravan of people just for him rolling out the red carpet if you will well what if he would have done that it, it, it just wouldn't have fit his character would have well because i know that it has been prophesied of how it was, it was going to be. That just does not make sense to me, that he would go all out, be so outrageous. I, I think if he would have done that, he would have been less accessible to many of us. He, he would have been kind of out of reach, if you will, if he would have come with such an entourage and all this pomp and circumstance and all these things, it, it just wouldn't have fit Jesus. No, he came humbly. There was nothing pretentious here. There was nothing pompous about his, his parade, if you will. His disciples were not his, his bodyguards and or his bouncers trying to keep people away from touching him. No, he came with a simple, just a simple, just a, a donkey. Something that's so common. In verse 35, it, it, it tells us, then they brought him, the donkey, or the colt, they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their clothes on the colt. And they set Jesus on the colt. They, they, they bring this humble animal. But they're bringing it to a humble rider, if you will. But something begins to happen that, that, that I don't think the disciples had planned. There, there, there was no way of planning this for them. They really had no clue that they were part of this historical event that is about to happen. And so, so, so something begins to happen. The disciples, for some reason, as they bring this colt, they, they, they start making this makeshift saddle with their own clothes. They're probably taking off their overcoats or their coats and they're setting, setting this up on, on the colt and then they begin to, to set it in front of the, the colt on the ground. 
as Jesus is now put on this colt. Yet, again, none of this seems planned by anyone. The disciples had just begun to prepare the colt, and yet there's a crowd that begins to form. And, and I don't know what exactly is going on at this moment, but the crowd begins to form and all of a sudden other people, these people as they're seeing what's going on and maybe some recognized who he was, but they begin to put their clothes on the ground as well. The Gospel of John tells us that some of the people began to gather together. As they gathered together, they began to take, take branches off of palm trees. And, and they went and they laid them before the, the, the colt as he is coming. And this is why they call it Palm Sunday. Because people were taking palm branches and setting them before the king that is coming. And what I find fascinating here is that Jesus is about to let the disciples do something he had never let them do before. Jesus had always told his disciples, whenever they began to talk about the son of David, which would be a reference to the Messiah, whenever they talked about his being the Messiah, Jesus would always say, hey, Keep it on the down low. Let's not tell anybody about this situation right now. Jesus always told them not to do anything like that. And yet, today, on this very day, on Palm Sunday, He is about to let them do something that He had never let them do before. Why? Because His time had now come. Throughout the Gospels, we always hear Jesus saying, my time hasn't come, my time hasn't come. Well, my time has now come. You see, Jesus was waiting for this particular day to come. And Jesus was faithful to come. He came, yes, he was born of a virgin. We go through all, his, all of his life, but he came on this particular day because it would be this particular day that would change the course of history. Palm Sunday is when Jesus would be proclaimed the Messiah of Israel, the Messiah the, 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 the one that they have been waiting for all their lives. The one that they have all read about. This was huge. This was historic. All of Israel has been waiting for this very moment for their Messiah to be brought in to come and save them. We hear that on this day, as he's coming, and he could see as he's descending and coming right into Jerusalem, that everybody has been shouting with loud voices. It says that, that it was a day of re, to, to rejoice and, and, and praise God. And that is what they are doing. 
Because if they would not have been praising God and rejoicing the way they are rejoicing right now, it says that the very rocks would be crying out. If they did not do that this very day. But here's the irony. Here's the absurdity of this whole thing. Nobody really knows what's going on except Jesus. He knows that this day was, was, was set aside just for him to be revealed to the world, to all of Israel. He knows what this day means. This is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as the long-awaited Messiah. The word Messiah, many of us have heard it time and time again. Most of you understand what it means. I've shared it with you many, many times. But the word Messiah means the anointed one, the sent one. The word Messiah means the Christ. So whenever we talk about Jesus Christ, what we're truly saying is Jesus, the Messiah. This is why he came. And he, and, and he knew what all of this was, was going to do uh, as, as far as what was prepared for him right after this. And yet he was faithful to come. A parade like this. A procession like this was not uncommon in those days. You see, a king, ruler, or general would ride into town like this. So people had seen something like this before. People would put branches down. They would lay their clothes down. So when we think about this, it's not abnormal back then that they would be doing this for other people in, in, a, in a show of respect or honor for their general or their king, their ruler. You see, in wartime, the, these, these, these kings or rulers or generals, they would ride in on a horse. Again, it would be a procession much like, like this one that's going on. But in peacetime, a donkey or a mule would be appropriate. But a colt? That, my friends, was not normal. This was different. So I'm sure people might have been standing afar off going, really? <laughs> I could see a horse, I could see a mule or a donkey, but a colt, never seen it in all my life. So this is totally different. And I'm sure some who were not rejoicing and were not praising God maybe stood in the background almost mocking it. This was different. But the people that are rejoicing and the people that are praising God it's not because they're finally understanding that this is the long-awaited Messiah that has now come. No, they are praising God. They are rejoicing and praising God. It says in verse 37 at the end here, be with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. In other words, many of these people 
who, who were now a part of this procession and they're honoring him, maybe many of those have been touched by him previously. And they are worshiping, honoring him, in a sense, if you will, not because they understand here comes the Messiah, but because of all the mighty works he has done. Now, now you can't fault them for that because they, 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 they should be rejoicing and they should be praising God for his mighty works. Many of them have been touched by him. But they are missing this historical event that is unfolding right before their very eyes. They are a part of that, but they have no clue what exactly is going on. But notice, even though they have no clue what is actually going on, notice that Jesus does not rebuke them for missing his big day. Jesus is not there pouting. He's not showing some displeasure. He's not getting mad at these people thinking, what in the world are you guys doing? You have no clue what you're doing right now. He doesn't do that. If, if anything, he is receiving their praises. He was willing to, to, to take what they're giving him. He is humble. He's not proud in any way. He's not upset at them because they've missed it. They're there and they're worshiping Him. And they're singing praises to God. And He is allowing this to happen. You see, they're crying out in verse 38 where it says, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The people are shouting these words. And they are actually quoting Psalm 118 verse 26. And without realizing it, they are actually welcoming the long-awaited Messiah. Even though it's just kind of going over their head. But they're actually welcoming Him to his rightful place. Now Jesus knows exactly what is going on. And he is receiving their worship. Even in the most humble way, if you will. But there are others that are in the crowd. There are others who have now joined in. As he has gotten closer to Jerusalem. And they sense what is going on. Why? Because they know exactly what Psalm 118 is all about. They understand that this is a messianic psalm. And you don't shout those words just to anybody. Much less some guy who's riding on this colt. In this humble way. No, they were expecting the Messiah to come in like a king like a ruler, like a general. They were expecting the Messiah to ride in on this donkey or, or on this full-grown mule, maybe even a horse, but a colt? And you're shouting Psalm 118 to him? Again, they have a sense of what's happening. And it says, 
and verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Shut them up, if you will. Again, picture it. All these people are surrounding this place. And these guys are in the crowd, and they're almost like hecklers, if you will. Teacher, tell them to stop. Master or, 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 or you, know, you, Jesus, tell these guys to be quiet. Why? Because they sense what is happening. I think because of their deep-seated hatred for Jesus, they wanted the noise to stop. It's interesting what is going on here. The people really don't know what is going on. The Pharisees, they have a sense of what is going on. And Jesus is the only one who knows exactly what is going on here. The people are worshiping. The Pharisees want the people to stop worshiping. Jesus defends the people and wants the worship to continue. And he is receiving this worship gladly, even though they don't know exactly what they're worshiping. This is such a big day. This is a huge day. And if the people didn't worship and cry out that day the way they did, the very rocks, the stones, would immediately cry out in worship for the long-awaited Messiah. Think of it. The stones would have busted out worshiping. Now, some do think that Jesus didn't mean this to be taken literally. That, that this, this, this saying that the stones would cry out was, was, was just an expression here that seemed, that seemed to be proverbial, uh, a figure of speech, more of a saying, if you will. And that really, this wouldn't happen. It couldn't happen. But it's interesting because when Jesus would die, just a few days later, Matthew 27, 51 says, Then behold, when he died, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Busted out. You see, God brought that about because it is all His creation, and His creation shouts His glory. Listen to what the what, what, what Luke said earlier in his gospel in Luke three verse eight. Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not bring. Or do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. 
For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, Jesus said. He was talking to the Pharisees. Jesus was not about to shut the people up because he inhabits the praises of his people. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and are created. You, You see, if we don't cry out the praises of our Lord and Savior, the one who came to save us, from our sin, the anointed one, the sent one, the Christ, the Messiah, then the rocks themselves will cry out. Now, that would be an amazing sight to see and to even hear. But we should never let the rocks show us up. (laughs) Why? Because they're inanimate objects. (laughs) They're inanimate objects. And they cannot be saved. And yet you and I, He came to die for our sins. How is it that we do not rejoice? How is it that we are not shouting uh, at the top of our lungs the praises of who He is for the mighty works that He has done in our lives? Because He says if we don't do that, the rocks would. And we should never be showed up by rocks. So we should never ever keep silent. Verse 41 to verse 44 here. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now, They are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on, on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, as he drew near, he he, he saw the city, and it says that he wept over it. It's interesting because right now the crowds are, are rejoicing, and yet Jesus is weeping. This is only the second time we see our Lord weep openly like this. The first being at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. When when we see that in John chapter 11, verse 35. But there he wept quietly, if you will. But here he weeps in a loud lament. Almost in an anguish because he's mourning over them. He's mourning over the future of Jerusalem and over the future of the people there. Jesus showed compassion on Jerusalem. But he also 
foretold that the days would come when they would lie in ruins. At this point, Jesus rejects Jerusalem because Jerusalem rejected him. He's talking about the, the people as a whole. You see, back in John 1, verse 11, it says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. You see, he, he came to save them, and he knew what, how he would accomplish that, and it would be through death. But even knowing why he was coming, he was faithful to come. And so we see him here, now weeping over the city because its people did not understand the significance of this very day, of what was going on on this day that was so historic. A, a national acceptance of him on that day would have brought peace to them. From the, from the Prince of Peace who was staring them in the face. But because the people did not recognize the time, they did not recognize the time of God's coming to them, their day of visitation. Their city would be totally destroyed starting in A.D. 70. About 30 years from now, they would be obliterated. And, 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 and he tells them, this is what's going to happen because you missed it. You missed it. And Jesus is prophesying of what would happen to them. But you see, it was more than that. They, the people, the people of Israel, especially the religious leaders, they missed the prophecy of Daniel here, which prophesied that this very day that Jesus is riding in on a colt, as Zechariah prophesied, Daniel had prophesied that he would come in on this particular day, to the day. Daniel prophesied that it would be on that particular day the Messiah would be cut off. And it happened to be on Palm Sunday. Jesus lamented the fact that they missed it. The religious leaders should have known. And I say that they should have known because they kept close track of these things. They knew that when Jesus was born and everybody's naming their kid Joshua, Joshua, because they knew that Messiah would be born around that time. But they shouldn't have missed it because they had the calendar. They understood the day. They understood the prophecy of Daniel. He gave them a specific day. And it would be this day. And so the religious leaders, because of their hatred towards Jesus, they missed it. They were blinded by it. And that's why Jesus says to them, if you had known, even you, 
especially this your day. Jesus had come to save. And in his righteousness, he was giving them a chance to recognize him as who he was, the Messiah. Zechariah 9.9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. And he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fold of a donkey. That day, that day, the clock stopped that day. That clock stopped for the nation of Israel. Oh, he will give them another chance later on. After the church age is done, after this age of grace is done, he will give them seven more years. It's interesting because of all that we're going through right now in our, in our country and in the world. We, 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 we kind of sense, man, oh man, is this the time? And I would say to you, yes. With this, these are the beginnings of birth pangs. I would say that the age of grace, the church age, is coming to a close. This world it's ready to burst. And just like the religious leaders, just like the nation of Israel, the world is blind right now. They're missing it. Oh, I know many, many are, are scared. And they're beginning to turn. And God can use all of this. And, and, and whether you turn because you're scared and you come to Him, He's not going to shut you out. He'll receive you unto His own. Because that's who He is. That's why He came. Because He's giving us grace. We are still in the church age. We are still in this age of grace where the Prince of Peace wants you to have peace with Him. He wants you to experience the grace of God. So that you not only have peace with God, but now you have the peace of God resting upon you. Today is your day of visitation. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, rejoice and praise God that we are in this age of grace because you got saved. You have received salvation. Do not keep silent. What a great time to be alive. What a great time to share the peace of God with other people who are looking for peace because everything is falling down around them. If you're watching this right now and you are not a Christian and you know that, Maybe, maybe you're watching this and you know that you're so far away from Him. You don't even know where you stand with Him right now. Today's your day. 
Today's your day of visit, visitation. Don't miss it. Don't miss it because of the hardness of your heart. The scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. But he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of your salvation. Don't miss it. Don't be like the Pharisees. My heart goes out right now. To, to you who is, a, who, who is a believer that's so far away, come back to Him. For you who may not know Him, that today would be a special day. He came on your behalf. I want to pray with you. Father, I pray for anyone, Lord, who is watching right now, who, who can hear my voice right now, that, Lord, if they are believers, that, Lord, you would continue to give them just that experience of rejoicing in you and praising you, Lord, because you've given them salvation. I pray, God, that they would not keep silent. But I pray for those, Lord, who maybe today are so scared because of what's going on in the world that they don't know exactly what all of this means except that they, they know that they need you, Lord because they need peace. Lord, you will not cast them away. And I pray that you would just draw them into yourself right now. That, Lord, even right now, as we're doing it the way we're doing it, that they would cry out to you, that as I'm praying, they are asking you to forgive them. Even though they might not totally understand everything right now, but they know this, that they need Jesus. And I pray that right now, wherever they're at, Lord, you would save them and you will touch them and you will bring them to their knees, Lord. And they will repent because you have come in a humble way so they can relate to you and that they too might sing your praises. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, God, as we look forward to this week and what you're going to do, Lord, in people's lives reminding them, Lord, that there is hope. Oh, it's going to be an ugly week for Jesus. But there is hope because we will be celebrating the resurrection soon. Oh, what an amazing hope you've given us. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you.